Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. My name is Hal Brady, and let me welcome you to Hal Brady Ministries. I'm so pleased you've joined me tonight, and I want to ask you to Call other people to join us in the weeks to come. I'll be very appreciative to you if you will. My prayer is that you'll be blessed both by the word and the music. So would you hear this rather lengthy passage from Luke's gospel beginning at verse 13, chapter 24. Hear the word of God. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleophas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women in our group astounded us. 
They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Why is it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told him what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. The hymn writer put it this way, Open my eyes that I may see, glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Place in my hand the wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free. Silently now I wait for thee, ready, my God, thy will to see. Open my eyes, illumine me, Spirit divine. Two disciples were on their way home to Emmaus that first Sunday afternoon. Their hopes had vanished and their dreams had disappeared. The one on whom they had pinned their expectations had been horribly crucified, put to death like a common criminal. And they said, we had hoped and we sensed their despair and their dejection. In addition, that very morning, some women had come, and these women had said they had gone to the tomb and it was empty. They had said that an angel had said that Jesus was alive, but nobody had seen him. So these two disciples, very dejectedly, began to walk home toward Emmaus on that Easter Sunday afternoon. Now, as these two disciples walked along, all of a sudden they were joined by Jesus but they only recognized him as a stranger. Luke's gospel tells us they did not recognize him. They did not recognize him. Beloved, I simply cannot think of a greater tragedy than this. The Lord of the universe in our midst, and we cannot recognize him. God in Christ in history, God in the events and people of our lives, God in our hungers, God with us, and yet we do not recognize him. Robert Raines, in his book, writes this, standing on the deck late one night and looking into the glittering darkness, my friend said, I love the mystery. I don't need to know who and what is in the mystery. And that's the way it is with all of us. At times, we do not need to know who or what is in the mystery. But there are other times we do need to know. There are other times we do need to know the presence of the living Christ. Recently, an Atlanta area minister was giving a children's sermon to some children. She had four plastic eggs. You know, these eggs are the kind that have something inside. And so she said to the, 
to the children about the first egg. She said, now I want you to guess what's in this egg. She said, it has something to do with the Easter story and we see it in the sanctuary. And they got it right. They said, the cross, the cross. And she pulled up the second egg and she said, all right, this has something to do with what kept Jesus nailed to the cross. And the children said, nails, nails. They got it right. And then she mentioned a third thing. She said, this has to do with Jesus' burial. And they got it right, the tomb, the tomb. And then she pulled out the fourth egg and she said, now what do you think is in this egg? There was silence. And then a little boy said, well, give us a clue, give us a clue. Now we cannot predict when Jesus is going to come among us. That's up to him, not up to us. But I'll tell you, it'll turn our lives from meaninglessness into meaning if we recognize him when he comes. So what I want us to do for a few minutes tonight is take a look at this story of the road to Emmaus. And I want us to gleam what it is in this story that will suggest how we might recognize Jesus when he comes to us. First of all, somehow maintain hope. Somehow maintain hope. The disciples didn't recognize Jesus and that is very, very understandable. Cleopas and this other disciple had probably been with Jesus when he was preaching throughout the area and they saw the crowds, how they responded, and they started thinking, I wonder if this really is the Messiah. And then they saw his first miracle, and very tentatively, but then confidently, they began to think, well, this is probably the Messiah. And then they saw more miracles, and they saw his fame spread, and they just knew this was the Messiah. And then came Good Friday, when Jesus seemingly triumphantly entered into Jerusalem, and the crowds responded, and they just thought, surely this is the final stage of the coming of the Messiah. But then disaster strikes. Disaster strikes. Jesus is executed as a common criminal. Shame, confusion, fear are everywhere. How hard it must have been for these two disciples to talk to this stranger about the good things Jesus did when it all seemed so useless at this particular point. We had hoped, they said, he was the one. William Barclay says the words we had hoped really means that hope is dead and buried. And that's the way it was with these two disciples on their way to Emmaus. Hopelessness. Many people do not recognize Jesus and these disciples didn't recognize Jesus because of their hopelessness. Sometimes we don't recognize Jesus because we are miserable. We are miserable. A minister said he recently saw a lady that had a dog on a leash. Changed that, he said. He saw a lady pulling a dog on a leash. You see, this dog, it was terrifically hot. This dog had trudged along, and finally this dog had just had it. He plopped down on some soft lawn. There she was trying to pull him. She might as well have been trying to pull a semi. She could not get him up. She could not get him up. You see, his get up and go had gotten up and went. And there he was, collapsed. He had plopped. And you know, there are people like that. Sometimes we plop down in our hopelessness. Maybe it's because of the death of a loved one or an illness. Or maybe it's because we've lost our jobs. Or maybe it's because we have a lack of faith or a broken relationship. But we find ourselves hopeless. These two disciples were hopeless. But then also, they knew what it was to feel lost. 
But then it was that Jesus must have understood because he came along and walked with them on the road to Emmaus in their hopelessness and began to help them to see and understand. The resurrection always brings us hope. When Jesus showed up, it really meant that nothing is impossible with God. A minister said that his daughters feared the deep end of the pool. They were young and they loved to go swimming. They loved the shallow part of the pool, but going out into the deep was something entirely different. And he said they, he didn't want them to be afraid of the, of the deep, but he said as far as they were concerned, there might be a serpent or something out there in the deep. This was an eight-foot pool. There might be a serpent out there. Now, we know that's not true. But those little girls were afraid of the deep like we might be afraid of death or something like that. Anyway, this minister said he didn't want his children to be afraid of the deep, so he decided that he would play Shamu the whale. They would be the trainer. So he put one of his little girls on his back. She pinched her nose. She grabbed his neck. And down they went into the pool, all the way to the bottom. And they came flying back up to the surface. And this went on for some time. Each little girl, he would take them down and fly back up to the surface. And he said, finally, after many times, they realized there was nothing to fear. Why? Because they were with their father. Because they were with their father. And in our hopelessness, we are also with our father. So somehow, if we are going to recognize Christ, we have to maintain some kind of hope. And then secondly, invest in the Bible. A second way we might recognize Jesus when he comes is by investing in the scriptures. You see, Jesus had heard these disciples complain about everything, what they had hoped for and all of this, but then he chided them. He chided them. Listen to what he said to them as he just chided them. Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Now, Jesus spoke to them from the scriptures. He went back through all the scriptures and he explained the passages about the Messiah in the Old Testament. He went all the way through that and he helped them understand through the meaning of the scriptures. I want you to notice something, and this is important. Jesus did not blame these people for not believing the resurrection. He blamed them for not accepting the scriptures, for not accepting the scriptures. Is there any other book described like this? Listen. Indeed, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intensities of the heart, living and active. The words of the Bible are alive. God works through the Bible. Now, somebody said the Bible is to God like a surgeon. Surgeon's glove is to a surgeon. God uses these methods to reach deep into our souls. The Bible is the Christian's textbook. The Bible is the source of our norms and our beliefs. The Bible tells us what the purposes of God is in the world. The Bible tells us about the story we are to proclaim. Without the Bible, we wouldn't know anything about Jesus. Oh, I hear people say, I can see the Lord in that tree, or I can see the Lord in the ocean, or I can see the Lord in this, that, and the other, and other people, and so forth. Sure you can, but you wouldn't had it not been for God's revelation of himself through Jesus Christ in the Bible in the Bible, how important it is. Calvin Miller, this great theologian, said he first came to know Christ when he was nine years of age. He said he was in a revival and the evangelist said, you need Jesus as your savior. But he said all the time, he said he was holding up the Bible. He said if he had just been talking about his savior, he said he probably wouldn't have bought into it. 
But when he kept talking about the Bible, he said, God loves you. The Bible says so. And then he said, God loves you. And the certification of that love is found in the Bible. And he said, so he bought into it and he gave his life. And he said, ever since that day, I have not, he said, ever had an idea of accepting, of separating Jesus from the scripture. He said, how do I know God loves me? The Bible tells me so. And we put great emphasis on the Bible because it tells us several things. Doctrine, what God wants us to know. Reproof, what God does not approve of. Correction, what God wants us to change. And then instruction in righteousness, how we are supposed to live our lives. Now, let me just tell you this. Invest in the Bible. It's the second way of recognizing Christ when he comes. And then a third way we might recognize Christ is by paying attention, by paying attention. Jesus comes to these disciples on the Emmaus Road, and he comes in such a common, ordinary, everyday manner. Where are the angels' voices? Where is the glory of the resurrection? Where is the great excitement, R.R. St. Paul on the Damascus Road? Where is all of that? It's not there. He comes in a very ordinary, everyday manner to us. As a matter of fact, what makes the Emmaus story so particular, wonderful, and familiar is that it's not familiar. That's what helps us to understand this tremendous story. Now, we need to understand that paying attention has something to do with what this Jesuit priest said when he was in training that gave him five steps to teach him how to pay attention. And I want to share these with you. First, you recall things for which you're grateful and give thanks for them. You recall things for which you're grateful and give thanks for them. Second, you review the day looking for signs of God's presence. Third, you call to mind things for which you are sorry. Fourth, you ask forgiveness from God or you decide to reconcile with somebody that you have hurt. Fifth, you ask for the grace to see God in the following day. In that prayer, he taught us not to be lazy. He taught us to pay attention and to notice. It takes effort and work to notice and to pay attention. I read of a Welshman who for 40 years had gone every day to his neighbor and put a love letter underneath the door. You see, they had fallen out some years before and they didn't speak. But every day for 40 years, he would put a love letter under the door. It amounted to 2,184 letters. He slid them under the door. Finally, he had the courage. He went up, knocked on the door. When the lady opened it, he asked her to marry him and she said, yes. Well, I think God is a lot like that. I think God is coming to us in ordinary ways, writing love letters coming to us in ordinary ways and he just wants us to recognize him so that we'll open the door and allow him to come into our lives. So it's paying attention. That's another way we might recognize Christ when he comes. And then this way, act out your redemption. Act out your redemption. You remember when they came to Emmaus, the two disciples realized the stranger was going on. At least he seemed to be going on. So what they decided to do is invite him to supper. They invited a perfect stranger to have a meal with them. In other words, Robert McAfee Brown said this was the turning point. They didn't simply talk about redemption. They acted it out. 
They didn't realize it was Christ in the discussion on the road. They realized it was Christ when they acted out their redemption because they recognized him when he broke the bread. So one of the ways we recognize Christ is when we act out our redemption. Let me tell you something that happened to me earlier this week. My wife and I went to the place to get a driver's license to renew her license. We got down in the area. We didn't know much where the place was. And so I got out of the car and I saw this fellow coming up the road and I said, could you tell me please where the place to get your driver's license is located? And this is what he said. He said, I don't help white folks. And he walked along. Then I went into a store and I asked a fellow who was standing in line of the same race. I said to him, I said, excuse me, sir, could you tell me where the place to get the driver's license is? He not only graciously told me where it was, he walked out of line, went outdoors, and actually showed me where to get the driver's license. Let us act out our redemption, and then perhaps, just perhaps, we'll recognize the risen Christ when he comes. Let us pray. Lord, we're grateful for the opportunity you give us, even as we walk the Emmaus Road, to sense that someone is with us. We may start thinking of you as a stranger, but we know it's not going to be long before we know you much better than that. So help us to open up our minds and our hearts, O oh God, and hear afresh this word as it comes to us. We are grateful for the one who lives, for the one who lives within us and gives us life and hope and peace and joy. Help us, O oh God, to be joyful followers and to be an inspiration to others and to bring them to know the same Christ that we know. Hear this prayer, O oh God. Bless all of those who are within the sound of my voice or in the sight of this picture. Keep them all close to you and to one another. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you so very much for joining me in this service tonight. I trust that it's been a blessing and that you'll be a blessing to other people. Thank you again. Have a good evening. Good night. Just
Thank you for listening to Dr. Hal Brady, whose television broadcast is seen weekly in Atlanta on the Atlanta Interfaith Broadcasters Network. Dr. Brady's sermons are also available online, and ministry updates are posted on Facebook. With your help, we are able to share the gospel online and on the air, so please consider a donation to Hal Brady Ministries. Donations can be mailed to Hal Brady Ministries, Inc., Post Office Box 1367, Decatur, Georgia, 30031, or you can give securely online at halbradyministries.com. We are grateful for your prayers and support and hope you'll continue to partner with us. If you have any prayer requests, please be in touch. Thank you.